Let's lift this up to the Lord. Jesus, we ask you for your spirit to be our teacher, for you to build your church as you promised to do. God, we are um, your church together corporately as we gather here in this place right now. But God, in just a little while, you, by your spirit, are going to send us out into this city. And you're going to send us out as little missionaries and little um, secret agents of your spirit to go out there and minister your love and your power into the lives of our families and our co-workers and our bosses and everyone that we meet this week. And God, we ask you to prepare us for that this whole week of, of labor for you, of serving you. I pray that you would use your word right now to equip us and prepare us for what you have for us, Jesus. Lord, we surrender to your way of doing things, your word which, which teaches us and which equips us, God. We surrender to it. So Lord, please use your word to change us right now. We ask this by your grace and by your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today's Bible study is called Your Buckets and Your Boss. Your Buckets and your boss. And we're going to find out what both, well, you guys know what a boss is, right? All right. Well, I just want to make sure. And your buckets, we'll find out what that is in just a second. But I want to start with a quote from C.S. Lewis from his book, The Weight of Glory. It says, the work of Beethoven, you know, Beethoven, the guy that wrote all those symphonies and really great composer, and the work of a maid become spiritual on precisely the same condition. That of being offered to God, of being done humbly as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. The work of Beethoven, someone who creates these incredible symphonies that cannot be compared and can just are so glorious and beautiful, and the work of a maid sweeping your floors. <coughs> They're both they become an offering to God if only when they are done as unto the Lord, humbly offered to God. We divide up our lives. It's just natural. We have church time, which we're doing right now, right? We have home time. We have free time, family time, work time, lunch time, me time, game time, overtime, and downtime, and football time. That's just my own. But. And God does not want us to just pass the time. As we've learned in the last chapter of Ephesians and as we've been going through, but he wants us to actually redeem the time. But we divide up all our time. We have all these different divisions. <clears throat> and I'm going to call each of these divisions today buckets. Each of these buckets. So just imagine if with me a bunch of buckets around you, and each one is your time, and one is church, and one is home, and one's the time when you're sleeping, all these different times. And what God wants is for Jesus Christ to be raining down his spirit like water, filling up each one of these buckets. The buckets can just stay there empty, but God wants them to be filled with Jesus. Giving, and when, when water fills a bucket, it gives it weight. It makes each one weighty. 
And another word for weight in the Bible is the word glory. It makes them glorious. Glory in the Bible speaks of weightiness. And so God wants your life to be glorious or full of weight. Each one of the areas of your life, he doesn't want a bunch of heavy ones and then this one over here that's just empty. Or you can also think of the word glory as the difference between steak and cotton candy. Steak is a glorious piece of awesomeness. If you eat steak, you know what I mean. Cotton candy can be fun, but it does not satisfy the hunger deep inside, right? <clears throat> so it's, a, it's very important. Sorry, hang on. Let me get a glass of water. That our buckets are filled with weight, that they're important. And sometimes we can have our church bucket filled with Jesus, and it, and it might spill out into some of the other areas of our life, the other buckets, uh, but those areas aren't really spiritual in our minds. We're not taking Jesus to those places. We're not asking Jesus to fill those things in our life. And so Jesus is left on the outside knocking on the door of that area of our life. Maybe it's our spare time or our lunch time. We just think, my lunch is for me. Maybe it's our family time <clears throat> or the huge portion of our life, eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, that's designated as our work time. But in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So Jesus is jealous for you. <clears throat> he wants you and he wants all of you. He's not satisfied with just one hour a week on Sundays. He wants every moment. And it says he wants you to dine with him. <clears throat> Sorry. Hang on one sec. <clears throat> okay. He wants to eat with us. He wants to share a meal. He has a diner's club membership in his pocket that's burning a hole in his pocket, and he wants to spend it on you. That's Jesus. He wants every bucket of your life. Why? Because he wants to bless it. He wants it to make it heavy. He wants to make it weighty or glorious because all good gifts flow from the Father. And Jesus is the door to the Father, so he wants us to experience all that the Father wants to give us in spiritual blessings. <clears throat> and he knows that this only comes through relationship with him, through that communion with him. For Jesus, this happens over a meal. He always talks about it over a meal. Uh, and a meal for Jesus was two people consuming the same nourishment. And the cool thing is that Jesus is nourished by the Holy Spirit. And so when we're sharing a meal with him, when we're communing with him, when we're dining with him, we are being, we're becoming one with him. We're being nourished by that same spirit. Well, my friends, this is what your job can be, your employment. It's not just a church where we can grow in our relationship with Jesus. And it's not just at home as husbands and wives and parents like we've learned over the last three weeks that you can grow and serve the Lord. But even at work, you know that place where God doesn't even like to go, you might think? <clears throat> Some might ask, is God really interested in my statistical analysis and data reconfiguration job? That was a quote from Friends. Rock on. 
How can my job be more than just a, a section or a bucket in my life that passes by and doesn't really matter in the end? I know for me, I've had many struggles with this throughout my life. I believed I had worthless jobs. Anyone with me? You guys ever thought, I hate my job? It's a complete waste of time. Amen. It's like, why am I here? This is an empty bucket for me. There's nothing that's going to matter with this. It's, and, and when I read the Bible, I realize the time is near, so I can't be wasting my time here at this dumb job. But I want you guys to know that I did not have the heart of God in that attitude. My pride kept me from serving the Lord where he had placed me, and my lack of humility kept me from experiencing God's grace at work in my life and in my job. And in fact, I was choosing for my bucket to be empty. I was choosing it. And I felt like the only job worth having was to be a missionary. I thought that was it. I got to be a missionary. It's the only, or some other Christian job, it's the only thing that really matters, and I'm wrong when I think that way. I'm totally 100% wrong. It's not the only job that matters. In fact, 2,000 years ago, there were no Christian jobs. There wasn't focus on the family. There, there was no big ministries or big churches that could support their pastors, really. There was nothing that you could do. Even Paul was a tent maker to pay the bills in every place that he stayed and preached and planted all these churches. So let's learn from Paul how our jobs can be a place of communion with Jesus, seeing his grace abound, and maybe even seeing some people dragged out of the clutches of hell. In your job, however terrible and boring and horrific it may be, God can fill it, and he will. Let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Bondservants, he says, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service, as man-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service, as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you masters do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your, you, your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So let's break this down a little bit so that we can kind of sense and see what God is trying to show us. The word bondservants is real important. It's the word doulos. But um, a lot of times in the church, we, someone will tell you the word doulos means a person who, was, who chose to be a slave of someone or chose to serve that person. And it can mean that. And there are certain contexts where it means someone who chose. And they will say, well, you, if you worked as a slave for someone after a while and then you get your freedom after a certain amount of time, then you can make a choice and you, you put an awl in your ear and you get an earring. And when you have that earring, it symbolizes that you love your master and you want to serve your master forever because you love him. You, he's like, you're, you just love him. And that can be the, ter the, the word doulos. But in this context, it doesn't just mean that. Because maybe you did get your job because you love your boss. How many of you love your boss? 
Woo, all right, we got one, two, okay. We got a few of you that love your boss, but most of you just have to go to work, right? We just have to work. And this can speak of uh, those who serve because they have to. Our job is serving. We go to work because we have to, and we have a boss that we didn't necessarily pick. They got placed in our lives, and we have to serve them. It's not just out of love. So you have a job, so you have a boss. I like that in the 80s, boss meant cool. That's why I always wanted to be a boss. And most of you guys have a boss. So that's what we're talking about today. And he says here, be obedient to your bosses or your masters according to the flesh. So we need to be obedient to our bosses. This term, be obedient, is the same term in Greek that was used when Jesus told the wind and the waves to be still when he was in the storm on a boat. And what happened? The wind and waves obeyed him, and it says instantly they became as smooth as glass. It means falling under the authority that God has placed over you. Being obedient is not, however, what your flesh wants to do. That's the problem. Our flesh does not want to be controlled. Our flesh wants our fresh desires, our flesh lusts. Our flesh has no interest in having a boss rule over us. But we need to obey our boss and not our lusts. In Romans 6.12, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. When we believed in Jesus, we became free of sin, but we can so easily go back to living in that prison of sin when we decide to let our sinful flesh entertain its lusts. And that would include not obeying your boss. It's a spiritual issue. A Christian should be the best employee in the entire world who obeys everything their boss says, unless it's sin. You obey them. It's a big deal. Our flesh sees our boss. It looks, we look at our boss and we think, well, our, we're not that impressed. We think we could probably do their job better, right? We think, oh man, my boss, he's such a lazy bum. And maybe it's even true. Maybe you could do their job better. But our flesh takes this observation and turns it into action. We begin to have a hard time honoring their authority. We begin to second-guess them, even to their face. We begin despising their place in our life that God has put them in. We begin talking about them behind their back to our coworkers. We begin hating them. But if love is patient and love is kind and love does not envy, our flesh takes us in the opposite direction of love. Our flesh is so wily and sneaky and evil. And it wants us to go that way. And it doesn't have anything to do with how bad your boss is. We're going to see that a little later. But he says here, continuing on, he says, Obey your masters with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as unto Christ. 2 Peter 2.18 puts it a little differently. Peter says, Servants, be submissive to your masters 
with all fear. And not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Man, that is not what my flesh wants to hear. Our bosses don't need to earn our respect. Wow. They have it all when we choose to follow Christ. When Jesus is our boss, our spiritual boss, our heavenly boss, our place as a servant becomes our joy. Well, how would you do your job if Jesus asked you to do it? Let's say Jesus was your actual boss. And Jesus said, hey, I got a job for you. How would you respond? Let's take it this way. Let's say Jesus is hanging on the cross, suffering for your sin, and he asks you to go deliver a message to one of his friends. I bet every one of you would jump up and do it with all your heart, right? I bet you would. But if your lazy boss asks you to do something he's perfectly capable of doing on his own, are you going to act the same way? When Jesus says we need to obey our masters, he's not making exceptions. Unless it's sin, we're supposed to serve him, just like we would serve Jesus himself. And that spiritual bucket of our work time will begin to be filled with weight as Jesus' grace becomes poured out into our life. Because God says he gives grace to the humble. You're humbling yourself before your boss. And Jesus says, all right, here's a bunch of grace. I'm just going to give it to you. Here you go. It's funny because Jesus actually did do this. You guys remember John? And Jesus, hanging on the cross, says, John, would you take care of my mother? I'm dying. I need you to take care of Mary. Can you imagine John saying, no, I'm good? Or, or just saying, yeah, and then flaking out to do it? Man, it would not happen, right? Because Jesus asked him to do it, and he responds because he loves the Lord. So then in Ephesians 6, he says, do it with sincerity. And this word in Greek means singleness. It means we're not really doing our jobs to get ahead, but we have a greater goal in mind. Rather, we serve our hearts out for the one purpose of having our bucket filled that day. To say that we honored the Lord and worked that day for him as if he asked us to do it. This singleness. And it's so hard because our, our job just takes so much of our mental powers. But that's why Jesus wants to bypass your brain and go straight for your heart. He's saying, just picture your boss as being me. And even if they're mean, I want you to serve them, honor them, and your bucket will be filled. Focus on your bucket. And he says, don't do it with eye service as man pleasers, but as a bondservant of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Man pleasers are a problem. And a lot of times I have been a man pleaser. Just doing enough to get by, right? You guys with me? I know that maybe you've struggled with the same thing. And they make it look like they're doing good, but they're only doing it to be seen by men. God is not looking for fakers. He's looking for people who will do whatever they do for him. So if you're a trash man, 
Are you doing it for Jesus? Are you lifting that trash can up and smelling the fragrant odors? Man, Lord, thank you for the decomposition that keeps our world from being filled with trash. Or are you bummed out every time you have to pick up one of those things? It's a hard issue. You're either a man pleaser or you love the Lord and you fear the Lord. Living in constant relationship with him, continual communion. Remember that dining, that communion, that meal eating that God wants us to partake of. He loves it. Are we, do we fear man, man or do we fear God? Verse 7, he says that with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Why should we serve men like we're working for Jesus? Because Jesus is the one who is really going to be signing your checks. He's the one that's going to fill in the number and all the zeros after it that you don't even know about right now. You think you're just getting paid $7.50 for working at Arby's, but you're not. When, you're, when it's your bucket being filled, you're actually getting paid from the Lord. And it's going to be unbelievable. Your reward will come from him. And you'll be blessed if you're looking for God's reward. It does matter. Your job does matter. My boring jobs I hated do matter to the Lord. And he is taking account of every day. It is for him. Even if your boss forgets to pay you, Jesus is not going to leave you dry. He's not going to forget to pay you. Your boring job cannot be boring. When you understand that your paycheck, the paycheck you will be getting. I'll picture it this way. Imagine Mr. Moneybags is your boss. Or Bill Gates or whoever you picture is really rich. Who's someone rich? Michael Jordan, LeBron James, whatever. Any of these people who are totally rich, imagine they're your boss. And they walk up to you and they say, Would you please watch this paint dry? And you're like, okay. And they say, I will pay you $10 billion an hour to watch that paint dry. Are you in? And you would say, yes, no doubt. I will watch this paint dry like nobody's ever watched paint dry ever. I'm in. I'm going to do a great job. Why? because you're expecting a reward. And with God, it's the exact same way. Your menial job at McDonald's or whatever, maybe your job is watching kids, or maybe your job is, I don't know, it applies to every job. If, you're, if you do that job, trusting in the Lord for his reward, it's going to fix things. It's going to fix your heart. When your focus is on the Lord, it will fix your heart, and your job will not be as tedious Jesus wants to transform our employment from working for your boss to working for Jesus. Okay, so verse 9 says, And you masters, do the same to them. Give up threatening, knowing that your own master, who also is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. So eventually, you will transition from being the employee to the employer in your life, if you're lucky, or maybe not. And you will be blessed if you still consider yourself as working for Jesus. So if you have employees in here, 
give up threatening, he says. That is never an ideal leadership tool. Yet we see it all the time. And that's what we do all the time, I think. In our marriages, in our parenting, in our jobs, threatening seems to be out there all the time. But God does not consider the boss to be any more important than anyone else. They're all peons compared to his might and glory. And so he says, don't, don't threaten. So turn with me now. I want to show you guys an example from the book of Daniel. So turn with me over to the book of Daniel. We're going to see a whole bunch of stuff from Daniel. So just look at Daniel chapter 1. Go ahead. And it's it's uh, great to read through these, these verses and see what God is doing. So if you trust the Lord in your job, no matter what your job is, there are some absolutely amazing possibilities. And I'm not saying that you're going to get the magical promotion, uh, but your heart won't even be set on that when you're serving Jesus in the place that you're at. So what I'm sharing is that there are possibilities of lives changing, of lives being transformed and being dragged out of the very clutches of hell. You will be the staff evangelist on whatever company you're at that the company didn't even know that they hired. And Daniel, he illustrates for us how to live by faith in our jobs, how to work in our jobs. And you're going to see his job is tougher than yours. His boss was crazier than yours. So check it out. The book of Daniel. Look at, look at chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, okay, he's the boss. Just keep that in mind. The boss, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish but good-looking, gifted with all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So this is their interview process. And the boss interviews some kids, some guys, and he hires, we'll say you, or we'll hires Daniel, who's representing us in this story. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to them, the chief of the eunuchs gave, the names, gave these names. Uh, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested that the chief of the eunuchs, uh, that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who had appointed your food and drink. For, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. 
and let them uh, give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies as you see fit. So deal with your servant. So he consented with them in that matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the kings of, than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine which they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So they all hated Daniel. Just kidding. I imported them. And as for the young men, God gave them knowledge. And God, well, listen to that. And as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all vision, visions and dreams. Now, at the end of these days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, the boss. And then the king interviewed them. And among them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about uh, which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who, astrologers who were in all of his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So Daniel does not really have a choice about his job. But he doesn't care either. His purpose was to honor God wherever he's at. He said, I have purpose in my heart. I'm not going to defile myself, but I care about the Lord. No matter where I'm at, no matter what lame-o job I have, I'm going to do this. This humility and faith allows God to work in and through his life. God gives him wisdom and understanding. And then his boss sees the grace that has been given to Daniel. It wasn't his talent. It wasn't his effort. It was grace. It was a gift given by God to a humble and faithful person. We have to understand this when we're, when we're looking at our jobs. It does not depend on how hard you work. It's really a spiritual thing. Humility, God blesses with grace. Faith is how we access grace. Romans 5, 2, we have access into this grace in which we stand by faith. So if we are operating in humility and faith, God will pour grace into our life. And that grace has many manifestations. It can be wisdom. It can be knowledge. For Daniel, was interpreting dreams. And I don't know what it is. Maybe you're really good at filling up milk bottles and God makes you that way because of humility and faith. God will bless your work. And Daniel's no different than us. He wasn't even more talented. He wasn't a harder worker. None of his blessings came from his efforts. They were all a gift from God. So that's where Daniel starts. That's where his, his life begins, is that he is committed to living by grace. We call this living by the new covenant. The new covenant of grace where God says, I'm not asking you to keep all those Ten Commandments anymore. You just love me, humble yourself before me, and have faith in me, believe in me, and I will give you, by my Spirit, the ability to be obedient. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's such a gift. And it's not wages 
earned by works. God's gifts are never earned. They're always gifts given freely to anyone who asks. And it's so important because I know many, many, many of us that have just, are like just on the verge of being burned out at work and we're burned out at church and we're burned out at home and our life is going towards divorce and our job is heading towards getting fired and our home, our kids hate us and our wife hates us too or whatever. All the areas in our life, are, we've just been trying and trying and trying on our own and we're tired of it. And this plays right into the hands of grace because God is saying, stop trying. Give up trying. Surrender. That's why we're called White Flag Calvary. It's why we have the little surrender flag. Surrender to the way God wants it to be done. By surrender, we are, we are operating in humility and faith, saying, God, I'm, I'm below you. I can't do this. I need your help. I ask you for help. And then faith, I believe that you're actually going to give me this help. And then you can walk forward, and it's such a joy. And Daniel, his life is just blessed. And look what happens in chapter 2. His boss has a bad day. His boss has a terrible day. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have already agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation." Then Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests. And there is no other one who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was very angry and furious and gave command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the king has a dream. He can't remember his dream, but he's all mad about his dream. And so all his employees, he says, you have to tell me my dream and the interpretation or I'm going to kill you. Has your boss ever put out a hit on you? Well, verse 16, so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him some time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and he made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon then the secret was revealed to Daniel in the, in the night vision. And so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. When Daniel's boss is mean and cruel, Daniel goes to the Lord. When Daniel's boss has a terrible day, Daniel doesn't react in the flesh, but in the spirit. He goes and seeks the Lord. He beseeches the Lord. He waits on the Lord with his friends. When the trial comes, the trial increases Daniel's relationship with God, increases Daniel's dependence on God. It's not a burden for him to go to the Lord. It's a blessing. And look what happens in chapter 2, verse 30. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, 
but for our sakes who made known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says. So Daniel, when his boss has a bad day, when his boss is unreasonable and his boss is lame, like all your bosses act almost every day probably, he goes to the Lord, and then what happens is he serves his boss. Daniel blesses his boss. Daniel ministers to his co-workers and his boss. Daniel loves his boss. That's what the Spirit of God does in our lives. Look at verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. And the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over all the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat at the gate of the king. So because Daniel trusted in the Lord, God begins to work in his boss's life. Daniel gets a promotion. God is glorified. Daniel's co-workers are blessed. And Daniel now has more responsibilities. I believe it is good for us to desire more responsibilities, for us to desire to increase our sphere of influence. You know, I desire to be more efficient and useful for God every day, but that can only be a work of God in our lives. No efforts can produce greater influence. They can't. Only grace can. Only God's gifts can. Only grace working in and through us. So the next verse we come to, sometime later, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar is a goober again. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura, Dura in the province of Babylon. So now the boss makes another very foolish choice. It's a pretty arrogant and prideful demand. But because God's people are serving God and not men, they're fearing God and not man-pleasers, this boss has an encounter with the living God. Look at verse 25. Look, he answered, I see four men loose and walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the fourth of the form uh, the, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So Nebuchadnezzar sets up this thing and they, requires everyone to worship him. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't care because they, they worship only God. They don't, they're not worried about pleasing Nebuchadnezzar to the point of sin. And so they, they're like, no, we're not going to do that. We fear the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar gets mad and he says, all right, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. So he tosses him in the fiery furnace, heats it up seven times hotter. And Nebuchadnezzar gets to meet God. It says he observes and he sees the form of a fourth person. Remember, he only threw in the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fourth was like the Son of God. And who do you guys think that was? 
Amen. There you go, Mike. Jesus. It was Jesus. Verse 26. So Nebuchadnezzar, the boss, went near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fiery furnace. And if I was them, I would have been like, shut up. <laughs> I am not talking to you right now. I'm hanging out with Jesus. So get out of here. I'm in the fire. I'm fine. This is great. I'll come to you when I'm good and ready. But no, they still have a heart for their boss. They still have a heart for him. And so they what? Obey him. They obey him. And they came out. And the, and the satraps and administrators and governors and all the king's counselors gathered together and they saw these men whose, on whose bodies the fire had no power. And their hair was, and of their head was not singed, nor were their garments afflicted, and the smell of the fire was not in them. So Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they, might, that they should not serve or nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language who speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap. Therefore, there is no other God, for there is, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So not only does he have revelation of God, he now has met God, but major changes happen in the workplace. Changes. Maybe you're, you've been thinking, oh, I wish my workplace could just change in this way. It's, you live for the Lord and watch the Lord work. And again, promotion follows those who fear God and not men. But God is not done yet, and we're almost done. But you've got to see this because this is the most heart-wrenching part of this whole story. It's amazing. In Daniel chapter 4, we have Nebuchadnezzar's own, written by him, by his hand, his own description of what happened in his heart during all this time. So the boss, in his own words, says, Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace, and I saw a dream which made me afraid, and thoughts on my bed and visions in my head troubled me. So now we see the story of how God was working in the boss's heart. Daniel didn't know about any of this, but Nebuchadnezzar knew. And so how did Nebuchadnezzar become go from, becoming, from uh, being the man that only thought about himself and his glory and his kingdom to the guy we see here? who honors God and knows his ways. Look at verse 28 of chapter 4 of Daniel. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. So what it means is uh, he went crazy. He had like, he, he actually went, went crazy. Uh, he, and, and, and was humiliated and humbled and lost his position. All this, it says, came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking about in the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke and said, 
Is not this, the great, this great Babylon, which I have built uh, for a royal dwelling, for my mighty power, for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was still in his mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like an oxen until seven times or years have passed over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like an oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers." and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High God and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles restored to me. And I, rest I was restored to my kingdom. And the excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, the boss, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and in his ways justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. That's what can happen to your boss when you trust the Lord. God is able to bring him down, and maybe you've prayed, God, bring my boss down. Maybe you have. And this boss, this boss was brought low so his soul could be saved. And we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven because of Daniel and his faithfulness to his boss. Daniel got to be a part of it. Daniel gets to be a part of a lot more. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar dies. There's a whole other king, and Daniel's his right-hand man too. It's crazy. But I'll let you explore that for yourself. But seeing your job as a mission field can really transform your daily experience. So in your mind, what do you think missionaries do every day? It's a great question. You know, are they, do you go to missionary school and then start a missionary business? And a, I don't know, what do you do? How do you be a missionary? Well, in reality, they just live life with Jesus in a new place. They take their relationship with God wherever they go. And Daniel was basically a missionary to Babylon. He just took his relationship with God into his job. And our real job, your real job, is growing deeper in relationship with Jesus every day. That's your job. And eight hours a day is far too surface and trivial for what God has actually purposed for you. He wants every moment, every day, to be filled with relationship, worshiping, repenting, praying, wondering, listening, it's basically abiding. We need to never abandon that, never ignore it, never think there's something better in a different job. And if we just get that other job, we'll be okay. That is never the solution. The grass is never greener on the other side. 
His, our relationship with him is something that needs to be pursued. He is everything. Without him, we can do nothing. So it doesn't matter what job you have. But with him, with him, when you're abiding in him, you're already complete, already fulfilled, and already satisfied. There's nothing else you need except Jesus and that relationship with him. Let's all stand. So Jesus, we ask, Lord, that this word would be life-changing for us. God, that we would, we would step back from every one of our places of employment, that we would see you as our boss, and we would be able to see the possibilities of grace being poured out into our life, of you doing something great. I pray that we would stop trying to be something great and instead just be a child of God who is given everything great, everything that we need as your child. And our inheritance is so far beyond what we can imagine. And the riches of heaven are all freely given to us as we humble ourselves and trust in your word, Jesus. And Lord, I pray if there's, if there's someone in here who has never believed and never surrendered their life to your will to your spirit and lord they've been resisting your spirit and maybe you've been knocking on the door of their heart and you've been saying i love you child and i want to bless you but you have to believe that i take care of it on the cross that my death on the cross pays the price for your sin and you do have sin my child and I pray for anyone in here that has never, never made that decision that today would be the day that you, you come to the Lord and you believe and you trust him and you say, God, I do believe that you cared for me enough to die on the cross. And God, that your purposes in life are more important than mine. And God, I have a, I have a desire to know you now in a deeper way every day. And I have a desire to turn away from my sin. I make the decision to leave behind all my ways and everything that I have tried to make you pleased. And instead, I will just operate in humility and faith. And if you do that, you are saved. So, Lord, we just pray God, that you would help us to believe and not, never to have a lack of believing or never to have a, a lapse, Lord God. And Lord, we, we just thank you so much for our bosses. And Lord, right now we pray for each and every one of our bosses. And we pray, Lord God, that they would know you, the living God, through our example, through our love, that we would be the Bible that we wish they would read, that we would be that. Lord, equip us 
for this high task. In your name we pray. Amen.